You're listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For other resources, more information about this sermon series, or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Good morning. Happy Mother's Day to all you mamas out there. Um, as he said, my name is Jenna, and I will be reading from Matthew 12:46 through 50. While he was still speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and my sister and mother. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. And as you take your seats, we have a special treat today. We are going to hear God's word preached and taught to us by Melissa Madzik. Would you guys help me welcome her up here today? Good morning, everyone. Happy Mother's Day. It is an honor and a privilege to be here and to be able to open God's word together. So I'm going to pray as we get started. Father God, it is an awesome thing that you invite any and all into your family. And I just pray now, Holy Spirit, that you would illuminate your word, open our hearts, do your work in us, that we may be made more like you, that we may come to know you, that we may worship you, Lord Jesus, more fully. And we thank you for this time. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, so today we're going to talk about the F word. That's right, the six-letter F word. It's family. It's family. Did I get anybody there? So who or what comes to mind when you think of the word family? Some of us may immediately think of our nuclear family, uh, like Lyndon Johnson said in his commencement speech at Howard University in 1965. The family is the cornerstone of our society. More than any other force, it shapes the attitudes, the hopes, the ambitions, and the values of the child. Some, however, may think of family in an entirely different way, maybe to people to whom they are not related, like some World War II soldiers, for example. For his book, The Good War, Studs Studs Terkel interviewed a number of World War II infantrymen. They said they fought not so much for honor or cause or even country as they did for their buddies, not to let the guys down. That was the most important thing in their lives as soldiers. Many confessed that when they got home, their feelings of loyalty to spouses and parents were never as strong as their feelings for their fellows in the second platoon. So, what does Jesus say about family? So today, Jesus' family meets Jesus' ministry, and we're going to see what happens. So I'm going to read Matthew 12, 46 through 50 again, and we'll jump on in. So while he, Jesus, was still speaking to the people, behold, 
his mother and his brothers stood outside asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand toward his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers. For whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. Now, to to understand what's really happening here, we need to, to try to imagine what was going on and understand what was going on in this context, right? So at this point in the book of Matthew, after this section, Jesus begins explaining what the kingdom of God is like, and he does it via parables, right? So, and, and a lot of commentators will say that the illustration of Jesus of the kingdom of God is actually the focal point of Matthew. It's what our sermon series is named after, right? The upside-down kingdom of God. So that's important to consider as we talk about what is Jesus doing here. And then if you go into Mark and Luke's account, they have this same story in them, but Mark gives us a little bit more detail as to what's happening and why Jesus' family is coming to see him. So I think it is Mark 3, which at this point Mark is accounting that Jesus has done some healings, he's calling disciples, um, He's been teaching. There's a great crowd around Jesus, which is what's happening in the story. There's such a crowd that his family can't actually get to him, right? And so in Mark 3.21, it says, And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, He is out of his mind. And then, a few verses later, Mark gives us the same account. So his family is coming to see him because they think he's crazy. They don't understand what he's doing. Even Mary, his mother, with the whole virgin birth and the angels and and all the prophecy she got, she still didn't understand at this point what was going on. She thought her son was crazy. She took her, her other children to bring Jesus back out of that context, right? And we have to also consider Matthew here is writing to a Jewish audience. They would have understand, they would have understood immediately what family meant. And since we live in a different culture, I think it's important to mention that at that time, family, your biological nuclear family was everything. It was a family-centered culture. It was your priority. It was your security. It was your livelihood. John C. Purdy says in Returning God's Call, The Challenge of Christian Living, that in Jesus' culture, as in most cultures of the world from the earliest days until the present, to honor one's parents meant to obey them, to put their welfare and their values and their wishes above one's own. To suggest that another group had a prior claim on one's honoring was surely a radical break with tradition. So we need to understand that what Jesus did here was shocking. Shocking. Unexpected. You might even say it was upside down. It's reasonable to assume that when this messenger worked his way through the crowd to Jesus and said, your mom and your siblings are outside and they want to talk to you, that Jesus would have said, oh, excuse me, my mom's here, I need to go, and would have gone and talked to her, right? But he didn't. 
He didn't. He left his blood family, his living parent and his siblings, not because he doesn't love them, not because he isn't honoring them, but because his blood family and doing the will of God were at odds with each other. They were clashing. And when they clashed, he left his blood family to do the will of God, his father. And in doing so, he calls his disciples his family, his priority. So here we see Jesus coming to establish God's kingdom family. And it's redefined now. It's not whose DNA you share. It is now whoever does the will of God his Father in heaven. And I love how Luke's account puts it. I didn't put it on a slide, but what Luke accounts Jesus saying is that my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Straight up simple. So that's what I'm going to use from this point forward. My mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, this isn't the first time that Jesus speaks into this family-central Jewish culture about what kingdom family looks like and what the true follower of Jesus should prioritize. He's already been shaking this, this context up. I think of, there's many examples, but the one that came to mind was earlier in Matthew 10, I think it's 34 to 39, where Jesus says that every he, he came to divide families. Families are going to be divided over him, and that whoever loves father or mother or son or daughter more than me isn't worthy to follow me. So he's continuing to establish this new kingdom order. And when he's faced with that choice between his blood family, which apparently is my right hand today, and doing the will of God, when those are at odds, he chose doing his father's will. And he's redefining family as those who hear the word of God and do it. Now, with that said, I think there's a lot of implications we could pull from this. And just to be clear about what, well, what is God actually, what is Jesus saying here and what does he mean, let's first talk about what Jesus isn't saying. Because there's a spectrum here, I think, where we could fall off into unhelpful territory. So first, we need to note, Jesus isn't saying, dishonor your parents. Which is probably, I, don't, I wasn't there, but probably what that culture thought he was doing at that moment. Jesus isn't saying to dishonor your parents. Why? How do we know this? Lots of different ways, but again, we, we have to look at the whole of Scripture to understand Scripture. And this is the same Jesus who said he came not to abolish the law and the prophets, but to fulfill them. Part of that law is honor your parents, right? Honor your father and mother. And then if you fast forward a couple chapters into Matthew, you're going to get to Matthew 15, where the Pharisees actually take this honoring your parents commandment, and they've twisted it to the point to where they're not actually taking care of their family, and Jesus calls them out on it. And then we obviously, I think a lot of Christians will know the story of Jesus at the cross and how he honors his mother and cares for her as he's dying, right? So Jesus isn't saying dishonor your parents. I think on the other side of the, the coin, Jesus also isn't saying family isn't important, so cast them off in the name of following Jesus. Now, how do we know he's not saying this? Again, looking at scripture, 
right? We have lots of examples in Matthew. Matthew 19, Jesus upholds the marriage relationship. Jesus is welcoming children because he's saying to such belong the kingdom of God. There's so many instructions for how parents need to train up their children. Proverbs, Ephesians, Colossians, 1 Timothy has a whole section on caring for the widows in your family, right? So he's not saying family isn't important. So what is he saying? What is Jesus saying here? So again, he's pointing us to kingdom, God's kingdom, and showing us how life works in that kingdom. And when there is a conflict between doing God's will for the Christian and your biological family, or really anything else, one's loyalty is to God. It's to do the will of God. Now, why is this good news? that Jesus establishes this new kingdom family structure. Because this is good news. Well, I hope you catch this, because it was one of the first things I saw. Consider what Jesus meant when he pointed to his disciples and said they were his mother and brothers and sisters. I love that Jesus pointed to flawed, clueless, foolish, sinful people and said, you are my family because you're doing the will of God, right? They didn't understand why Jesus came. They didn't understand all the ins and outs of it. They, th- they were expecting someone to save them from Rome's oppression, right? The cross confused everybody, Jesus' followers included. They didn't get it, but they loved him. A lot of them had left everything. They'd left family. They'd left livelihoods. They'd left their lives to follow Jesus. And so Jesus says, you are doing the will of God. It reminds me of John 6, 29. Some people are asking Jesus, what must we be doing to be doing the work of God? And he says that the work of God is to believe in him whom he has sent. A lot of pronouns there, but he's saying To do the work of God, believe in me. Believe in Jesus. That's your work. It's faith. Right? So, obviously for us, this means if if in order to be doing the work of God, you don't need to be perfect. You don't need to understand all of God's ways. Only one ever fully did the will of God perfectly, and his name is Jesus. And fast forward a little bit in the story of Matthew, which is what we celebrated a few months ago, right? With through Jesus' life and then his death and then his resurrection, now anyone who believes in Jesus to save them from their sins is now counted part of God's family. God adopts anybody into his family who repents of their sin and trusts in Jesus, right? And then Those believers are given the Holy Spirit as a down payment of their inheritance with Christ. And yes, while we have kingdom work to do as Christians, empowered by that same Holy Spirit, our primary work is to believe in Jesus, whom God has sent. And if you're not a Christian today, this is God's invitation to you. If you don't know Jesus, he knows you. He loves you. He came so that you would be made part of his family. And all you need to do to become part of his family is repent 
turn from your sins and believe that Jesus is your Savior. Now, I'm going to talk about how imperfect we are a little bit later. We are an imperfect family right now, but we want you in our family too. So please come to talk with any of the pastors or leaders after the service, and we would love to get to know you and connect with you. So in Jesus' day, your biological family defined you, right? That was your identity. Now, family isn't defined by our blood, but by his blood and righteousness. Why else is this possibly good news? Well, in that culture, if you were single or if you were not married and producing offspring, that was terrible. That was terrible for various reasons. Now, there's a lot of good news both for them in that day and for us. You don't need to be married to be fulfilled. You don't need to be able to produce children in order to be part of a family or to be a spiritual mother or father. You can be part of a family and have a purpose in that family without ever having being married. And finally, I think this is good news because Jesus is bringing us closer to experiencing what our ultimate eternal family of God will be, right? So us living as God's family starts now when you become a Christian. And one day it will be perfected, God's family perfected. So what does this mean for us today? We're not in first century uh, Israel, right? So two things. Number one, I think the same application for them applies to us. When we are faced with the choice between doing God's will and your family, if those are at odds with each other, doing God's will trumps your biological family. Full stop. Now, this can have, uh, for some, this is a significant cost. For some, if you become a Christian, you may lose your earthly family. There are various ways and various degrees this will play out, right? So you could experience relational distance that they put between you and them because of your faith. You could experience loss of closeness due to holding different values. You could be excluded from family events or just not being as close to your biological family as they or you might like. The more extreme examples of this are being excommunicated or literally cut out of your family, or even receiving a sentence of death for your Christian faith. And anyone living in a Muslim country considering becoming a Christian knows this very well, because often, at best, at best, they expect to be cast out of their biological family for professing faith in Christ. Now, some of you come from homes where this isn't the case. Your mother or father are heartfelt, devout followers of God and doers of God's word. And it's, isn't that beautiful when your biological family and your spiritual family are together? It's such a gift, but it's not always that way. And when there is a gap, and when you have had to leave your biological family for the sake of God and doing his will, there is some really great encouragement for you in Matthew 19. Jesus says that if you've, anyone who's left homes or lands or careers or families for the sake of following me will receive a hundredfold in the life to come. A hundredfold. The pain we feel now is not even worthy to be compared with what's to come. 
So that's first application number one. When faced with a choice between doing God's will in our family, doing God's will trumps our biological family. And secondly, what does this mean? It means if you're a follower of Jesus, you are part of his family. So we're going to take a minute here and talk about what that looks like. All right, what does it look like to be part of Jesus' kingdom family? And if you're not a Christian, this is a, or if you're seeking to understand what's this whole Christianity thing about with Jesus, what does this mean? It's a great day for you. You just get to peek into a little family discussion and see what it might, like, what it might look like to be part of God's family. First, it looks like absolute loyalty is to our Christian brothers and sisters, fathers and mothers, sons and daughters. We are now primarily identified as God's child, and God doesn't have orphans. Or how do I explain that? So when you're adopted into God's family, it means you get some siblings, right? So we have our primary identity as followers of Jesus and as part of God's family. It's not to any social group. It's not to a denomination of faith. It's not, by your, it's not your racial ethnicity. It's not our nationality, our familial group. It means us followers of Jesus treat each other as family. It also means familial support through births, deaths, holidays, birthdays, bereavements, struggles, Oh, you guys, it was so encouraging just prepping for today. I got to talk to our pastors. I got to sit and think and remember some stories of how we do this at Trinity. There are so many stories. I can't share them all with you. But talk to each other. You're going to hear them. I know of meal trains going on uh, for people who have had a birth or a death in the family or are just going through a really hard time. I know of groups who've raised money to help support someone who's going through a financial crisis or someone who needs help with an illness. I know of people who go out of their way to give rides to others who can't make it to church or community group on their own. Um, I know of people who are honoring the singles in our church and blessing them in various ways, helping single parents get out and have some fun, taking care of their kids. Um, I know of families who open up their homes to people who need a place to stay, a place to live, perhaps. I know of people who celebrate holidays together, right? Friendsgiving or uh, Christmas or birthdays. There are so many stories of how we're doing life together. It also looks like honoring our mothers and our fathers, loving our brothers and sisters in the faith in the faith. So it's Mother's Day. I think it's absolutely natural to honor the mother who gave you life or perhaps the, the figure who raised you, right? Now, but just consider, do you have any spiritual mothers in the faith? Have you considered how to honor her and bless her today? And again, it's a double blessing when that goes together. It's wonderful if your mother has been a mother to you in the faith as well, but when that isn't the case, God supplies mothers, to you through the church. And thankfully, we don't have to wait for a national holiday to honor our, our siblings or our parents in the faith. We can do that at any point. And as we're on the topic of um, women and Mother's Day, uh, older women in the faith, I'm sure you've heard this before, but I'm going to say it again, you are desperately needed in the church. There are younger women who need to learn from you are you looking for someone you can mentor and mother and walk with in the faith? 
And younger women, uh, they don't tend to just knock on our door and say, hi, I'd like to pour all my wisdom into you. We, we, are we seeking them out? Do we see an older godly woman in the faith saying, hey, I want to be more like her. Can you walk with me? Can you teach me? I've had the blessing of being uh, mentored uh, by a couple women in the faith, and one I'm meeting with currently just turned 70 this month, and she meets with at least, I think, five of us younger women. And what I love about her, too, is that she still considers herself a younger woman because she goes to the nursing homes and she meets with 85 to 90-year-old women in the faith, and she talks with them, and she listens to them, and she learns from them. Isn't that beautiful? And what a gift it must be to those women in that nursing home to continue to mentor and build up someone in the faith. I think it looks like having love for this capital C church. So not just our local expression of the church, but if everyone who loves and follows Jesus is a child of God, we're all part of the same family, regardless of what language you speak, or the preference of worship music, or the way we do communion, or all those other quirky differences we have. Those shouldn't keep us from loving each other and seeking to do good for each other as we have the ability to do so. The residency program, I think, is a wonderful example of that. We're, we're training up other people in the faith, right, to benefit the church. It also looks like being God's hands and feet. Now, this one is especially important for those who have or have had a broken or abusive home, right? When they hear the word family, they think unsafe, Dangerous, perhaps, uh, harsh, shaming, or shameful. Some people have never had God's love translated to them through other people. See, God loves us through Jesus, absolutely, positively. And for whatever reason, he's chosen to love people through his body. And that's us. That's believers in Jesus. So if someone needs to know what it's like to be welcomed unconditionally in the middle of their mess, that welcoming unconditionally comes from us as we welcome them unconditionally in their mess, right? Um, we are the ones who hug the grieving widow. We are the ones who pull the wandering child back from the cliff. We are the ones who lovingly confront when one of us is going off the rails. We are the ones who communicate God's love to the world. God loves us, so we love others. It's, it's always meant to flow through us, to never stop with us. And if you're one of those people who has had a distorted view or experience of family, you really need to know you're not alone. I've been there. In some ways, I'm still there. I know many, many people here who have as well. right? And I can share from both mine and others' experience that there is such great healing that God brings through his church. I remember one particular instance. I was at some college gathering, and I was going through some pretty significant depression at the time, and I had just opened up and shared it with, somebody, with, with a group. And after this meeting, one of my friends, uh, his name is John, he came up, didn't say anything, he just looked at me and gave me a hug. And that is one of the first times I felt, I knew John was giving me a hug, but 
I felt God hugging me through this person. It was so clear. This brother of mine was communicating God's love to me in a really tangible way, right? And I know that God has brought healing to so many through his church. He brings us mothers. He brings us fathers. He brings us sisters and brothers. He brings us little children to raise up. He brings us young, and, young men and women to build up. Jesus, through his church, redeems family, right? Now, as I mentioned before, we are certainly not a perfect family. We struggle. We're in process. So I'd like to ask here, where, where do we struggle to live as God's family. There are t- there, there's probably a, a large amount of ways we can struggle. This is one of your community questions, by the way. But two that I want to hit on today are, first, we struggle by idolizing marriage and family. As a Christian culture, you could call this preaching a marriage and family gospel, which is something we can sometimes do without even thinking about it. One example that came to mind, I, have a, I had a friend years ago, we used to work together, I'm going to call him George. So George was a fairly new Christian when I met him, and he had been, he had been, I, don't, I hesitate to call it discipled, but he had followed one of those celebrity pastors for a while, you know, one of those nationally known pastors, and he learned a lot from his teachings. And at one point, at one event, my friend George got to meet said pastor. And he was so excited and so thrilled to meet this man, and he asked him to sign his Bible. And this pastor did. And when George got back, he showed me his Bible and and shared, look, look, look what he signed. And I read what this pastor signed, and he wrote four things, a priority list, numbered one through four. He wrote, God is number one. Number two, wife. Number three, kids. Number four, work. And then signed his name. My friend George is single. He's not married. He's not seeking out a relationship. He doesn't have kids. What, what was that communicating to him? Is that list only limited to him, a God and work? Right? What about his relationships with others in the church? Where is that on the list? Maybe that I don't know. I I want to assume the best of this pastor. Maybe it's included in the God section, or maybe it's under work. I don't know. But it's important to think about. In our community group conversations and discussions, are we so focused on our biological families in our prayer requests or our conversation that we neglect the church, our family, who may be in a different but very valuable season of life? Right? Is singleness seen as a disease or just a temporary holding pattern? Or is that a, a gift of God, a season that he's given them at that time? Just like <laughs> I know some moms who didn't ask to be a mother, didn't want to be a mother, and yet God made them a mother. Right? What about in our church community? Are we a place that singles can develop deep, intimate, familial relationships not just with other singles, but with just people in our church, outside of marriage or biological family? It's a great question to ask the singles around you in church. Are they, are they included? Do they feel welcomed? Do they feel like they belong? Are they able to develop those deep, intimate, familial relationships with other people? And if not, we need to ask why. A meaningful, purpose-filled life filled with intimacy 
And, and, and it's, it's possible as a single person, and it should be encouraged in the church. Jesus is a great example of doing this, right? We need to be a culture where singles are supported and included and loved and welcomed and known. And I don't have time to go into, go into this further, but I thought of David and Jonathan in the Old Testament, right, who are both married to women but I believe they are, they're so close in their friendships that David says of Jonathan, your love to me is better than that of women. That's something to think about. All right, now, since it's Mother's Day, I'm going to uh, ask this question of us mothers as well. How else can we struggle? Oh, you know what? I just skipped a point. Thank you, Jen. I see, I see the slides, and that's very helpful. How else can we struggle as a Christian culture by neglecting God's family? How can, we, how can we struggle as a Christian culture? I think one of the ways we struggle to live as God's family is by some basic neglect. Sometimes we can just forget. We can forget that we are part of God's family. We are the way God has chosen to work through his church. We can find our ultimate identity not as one of God's children, but in another place, perhaps work, perhaps our biological family, perhaps a relationship, perhaps successes, perhaps money, perhaps fill in the blank, right? Okay, moms, I gave you a little warning. Here we go. How, mothers, do we struggle to do the will of God in our mothering, right? The first one that came to mind, and I'm a mother, I have four kids, I, I'm, I'm putting myself in here as well. We can struggle with living in a way where it's our will be done. Our will be done. Now, we Christians would never say that. We know that's not right. But do our words match our actions? Do they match our schedules? Do they match our priorities and how we spend our time? Do you, mothers, pursue your relationship with God as the most important thing you are ever going to do in your life? And if so, you're going to naturally teach that to your kids. They're going to catch it. They're going to watch you. They're going to see how you're living. And the opposite is true. If God might be on your words but he's on the back burner of your life in reality and practicality, you are also going to naturally teach that to your kids. Now, I know I mentioned before there are some moms, I know some friends of mine who never asked to be a mom, never wanted to be a mom, and for whatever purpose he has, God made, him, God made them moms, right? If God made you a mother, he gave you that role, right? We're not... We're not here for our will to be done. We are training up these kids on God's behalf, whether we feel like it or not. Right? It needs to be his will be done in our families. Mothers, how else can we struggle? We can struggle by neglecting our children for the sake of furthering our own ambitions or priorities. And this isn't, this isn't a slight to working moms. I'm a stay-at-home homeschool mother of four children, and I struggle with this because of my own selfish desires. So, for example, it's 9 o'clock at night. That is when I, I'm done. I shut off. I'm going to get myself ready for bed. I'm going to read a good book, but not good enough to keep me awake. And then I'm going to go to sleep, right? And 
God has blessed me with a daughter who's almost 11, who, when 9 o'clock rolls around, that is the time to... She, she, she opens up her heart, and she wants to talk, and she wants to connect, and she wants to share all the, the deep stuff of life, and she wants to ask me all these really great questions and all these things I want to talk to her about when it's not 9 o'clock. Right? So, what do I do? Um, do I rigidly hold her to the schedule of, sorry, um, I've got to go to bed? And it, it's not under the name of, you know, my will be done. It's, mommy's a better mommy when I get more sleep. Which is true, but do I, do I, do I follow the Spirit's leading and take some time and maybe schedule a nap for tomorrow? and chat with my daughter when her heart is open and when she's ready to talk, because that's when I can build her up and that's when we can have those good, deep conversations. Right? This can also happen in a ministry-centered family. Our family is a ministry-centered family. We love serving the church. My husband is a pastor here. We help with community. There's a lot of different ways that we can sometimes put ministry before, ministry to others, before the ministry to the people in our own home, right? And that's a question we have to continually ask ourselves. Are we making time to minister to the people in our own home? Mothers, I think one of the other ways we struggle is uh, we can idolize our children. They are the most important part of our lives. They define us. If they're doing well, we are doing well. If they're doing terribly, we're doing terribly. Um, we will drop everything, or most everything, for their sake. We could skip church or skip building relationships with God's family because we're, it's, it's all about the kids and their activities. Or we could be the people who are demanding grandchildren. Right? I, I, you owe me kids. You owe me grandkids. Um, I don't know. I'm not there. I hope I don't become that one, but I'll check in with you in a 10 years, 12 years. All right, moms, I'm going to end this section of how do we struggle in our mothering with a story that I found from doing this research for today. This was, this was uh, stunning to me. So the earliest Christian writing found is said to be by a woman, uh, said to be by a woman, pardon me, is the diary of Perpetua. So Perpetua was a citizen of Carthage, and along with others who refused to worship the Roman emperor, she was imprisoned during the persecutions of AD 202-203. She refused to heed the pleas of her father, who visited her in prison and urged her to compromise her stand. She gave up to her father her newborn son, whom she had been nursing in prison, choosing to surrender her role as mother rather than submit and say, Emperor, you are Lord. In her diary, she describes her appearance before the governor. He said, have pity on your father's gray head. Have pity on your infant son. Offer sacrifice for the emperor's welfare. Can you hear, moms, the heartstring? He's tugging at those deepest heartstrings. Your father, who might lose his daughter, and your nursing little infant son. And so what does Perpetua do? She answered, I will not. 
Hilarion asked, and this is the big question. This is, are you going to say emperor's lord or are you going to say Jesus is lord? Are you a Christian? And she answered, I am a Christian. And she was killed for her faith. This is what it looks like when Jesus is your greatest treasure. I want to be like Perpetua. Right? It's not that she didn't love her son. I mean, I've, I've been a nursing mom. I have three boys. I know what that's like. And it's not that little boy did nothing wrong, right? But when her biological family and doing the will of God clashed, she chose what was better. She chose faithfulness to Jesus over her role as a mother. And guess what? Her reward is a hundredfold. I don't know what happened to her son. I can only pray he followed in his mama's footsteps and he came to know and trust in Jesus. And can you imagine the joy of them celebrating and loving God together? Now, as we close, right? I've said it a couple times, God's family is not perfect. It doesn't take, you don't need to spend more than a few minutes with a Christian to understand that. We are not perfect. We are still in process. We still sin. We still struggle. Yet there's a difference. And the difference is twofold. Number one, we have God's Holy Spirit in us. He's making us more like him. God willing, as we submit to him, he's leading us in his ways and he's chipping off the areas of us that don't resemble Christ. Right? And it means, too, that when we mess it up with God's Spirit in us, we have the ability to repent and turn around and try to make it right. And number two, one day, it makes a difference because one day, one day, God's family will be perfected. Everyone, every tribe, nation, language, we're, we're all going to be together and we're going to be perfected and with Jesus for eternity. Can you imagine the perfect family living together? No sin, no struggle, loving God, doing the wonderful adventures and work he has for us? It's hard to imagine, but it is coming. This is as bad as it's going to get. It's going to get so much better. So Jesus came to establish God's kingdom family as those who hear the word of God and do it. So some questions to consider in your community group this week. Number one, what has been your experience of family? And number two, how do you live as a member of God's family well? And how do you struggle? What's one area where you need to grow? And then an action item. If you have spiritual mothers in your life, if you haven't already done so, take some time to honor them and thank them this week. I'm going to pray to close, and I'm going to pray a particular special prayer for Mother's Day. So please pray with me. Oh, God, it is incredible that we may call you Father, that you would take broken and sinful wretches like us and adopt us into your family. It is awesome that you throw open the doors and invite any and all to know you as Father and to be saved, Lord Jesus, from our wretchedness. Mother's Day is a day of great rejoicing 
And for others, it's a day of great sorrow, God. And I want to first pray for those who are grieving and hurting today, for those who have lost their mother or lost a child, for those with broken relationships with their mother, for those who wish to be married or wish to be a parent and are suffering with the pain of unmet desire. Jesus, you are near to the brokenhearted. You save the Christian spirit. I ask for you to bring comfort for my brothers and sisters to know your presence with them in the fire, for you to do what you do with suffering and bring something beautiful out of the ashes. I pray for their faith in you to ignite, for you to show them their purpose in the family of God, and that as they receive comfort from you, they would be able to turn and comfort others in their affliction. I pray, Lord Jesus, for those who cannot relate to a good father and a healthy family because of their own experience of, of it being twisted or abusive or just broken. I ask for you to show them anew who you are and how much you love them and that you would bring them people who can translate your father heart of love for them. I now want to pray, Lord Jesus, for all the mothers in this room, the physical ones, the spiritual ones. We thank you for them, for their love and their care and their sacrifice and their hearts. I pray for the moms with children at home. Lord Jesus, give us everything we need. Give us your heart and love for these people you've entrusted us to raise. Please give us soft and responsive hearts so that we would do your will and not our own. Please give us your vision and wisdom for parenting. Give us your heart for these people. Give us truth to combat the lies that come when we wonder if what we are doing is actually worthwhile. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the single parents, that you would strengthen them and give them the support that they need through God's family to keep training up their children. I pray for the families here that we would repent of any idolatry of family and love you, Jesus, more than our family, more than our very life. I pray that we would prioritize and love our true kingdom, eternal family. I thank you, Lord Jesus, for the moms of grown kids and grandmas and great-grandmas who are here. We praise and thank you for the legacy of those who love you and for those who are seeing generational fruit, children and grandchildren coming to faith in you. That is your work, Lord God, and we rejoice in being part of it. I ask you for more, that you would raise up older women of the church to mentor the younger women. I pray, Lord Jesus, for the moms who are hurting today, who are aching for children or grandchildren who are not walking with you. Please help them, Lord Jesus, keep faith. Help them continue to pray for their, for their children or grandchildren. And would you please encourage these women as they are doing your kingdom work? I pray for you to be at work in the hearts of children straying far from you and that you would bring them, Lord Jesus, into your family. And lastly, God, I pray for your church, both us and all others in the world who love you. Make us more like you. Help us to truly do your will. Convict us of any ways we are failing to do so. We look forward, dear God, to the great reunion when the family of God that spans race and age and time and, and nation and class and gender and that we're all together praising your great name with one voice. Help us to do that now in Jesus' name. Amen. You've been listening to audio from Trinity West Seattle. For more information about our services or to connect with us, visit our website, www.trinityws.com. Thanks for listening.